Great. Come on in. Good morning. Welcome to Emmaus Church community. My name's Nathan. I'm happy to see you here. Raise your hand if you like a Bible. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2. This is Pentecost Sunday, and we'll be hearing the story about that today. So raise your hand if you like a Bible. Acts is uh, like the fifth book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Also, if you're at the end of an aisle and there's a basket near you, can you grab it, pass it down? And if you'd like to give us your contact information, you're welcome to do so on those cards. We'll collect them again in a few minutes when I'm done teaching. All right. Good. Well, welcome. If this is your first time with us, I hope you feel right at home. Glad you joined us today. Our hope for these gatherings is that they are uh, comforting, encouraging, but also challenging. And so um, I hope you feel embraced and welcomed and at home. And, and I also hope and pray and have been praying that your heart would be open to what the God who loves you wants to say to you through his word today. Amen? All right. So in his book called The Forgotten God, Francis Chan asks this question. He says, when was the last time somebody described you as powerful? <clears throat> as powerful. There's a, I think, just sort of a general impotence in American modern Christianity that begs the question, how are Christians really any different from anybody else? Uh, it's sort of a pervasive, maybe unstated, sometimes stated question. How are Christians really any different than anybody else? Do we worry any less than anybody else? Uh, do we who are, are Christians, do we use our time and our money in ways that are different than the rest of our culture? Can you look at somebody and say, oh, that guy must be a Christian because I can tell the way he's managing his money and his time is, is different. Uh, do we grieve differently than anybody else, than, than people who are not Christian? Do we grieve differently? Later in his book, Chan laments the fact <clears throat> that most Christians, and by extension most Christian churches, are known for a variety of things. Maybe their intellect, maybe the ability of the people that are in leadership, maybe um, their positions on current social issues, but not so much for spiritual power. Not so much for spiritual power. A few weeks ago, uh, when we reached the line in the Apostles' Creed, which we've been preaching through most of the year, which says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Uh, we decided to preach on this, on this statement, not just one time, but on four times, four times, ending today, which is Pentecost Sunday. And all week, I've been thinking, even though we spent four weeks on this, all week I've been thinking, man, there's, just, there's so much more to say about the Spirit. I'm not going to continue it again or post, um, extend it farther. Some people are like, oh, no. <clears throat> Keep changing my mind on stuff. But our focus for these weeks has been not on just learning about the Holy Spirit, but our focus has been on experiencing the Holy Spirit. Last week I talked about when Christians are filled with the Holy Spirit, they experience a different quality of passion a different uh, quality of love, of desire, specifically for God. They move, when you're filled with the Spirit, one of the effects is you move from being motivated by duty or by maybe even a sense of fear to being motivated by love. One of the gifts that is given to believers when they receive the presence of the Spirit is they actually want 
to follow God. Today I want to focus on a second. And so the question I asked last week was kind of a simple but a really direct question. Uh, The question was last week, do you love God? Do you love God? Not are you committed to God, not do you think God's important, but do you love God? Do you have an affection in your heart for God? Today I want to focus on the second uh, effect of being filled with the Spirit, which is the power of the Spirit for life and ministry. It's probably the strongest Spirit-related theme in the Bible. When people are filled with the Spirit of God in the Bible, they become more powerful. Just simply put, they become more powerful. So last week the question was, do you love God? And we focused primarily on a change that happens on the inside. Today I'm asking this simple question, are you powerful? Which has to do with the change that happens on the inside, but almost immediately starts to reveal itself outwardly, starts to demonstrate itself uh, outwardly. And while the la- last week's question may have felt, felt a bit uncomfortable. I think the tendency for most of us with this week's question, are you powerful, is just to simply say, oh, that is not for me. That's not applicable. He must not be talking about me because I don't necessarily feel like I need this like spiritual power. That would be tragic if, that, if we write this question off that easily and that quickly. It would be tragic. Somehow it seems like the idea of spiritual of a spiritually powerful person has slipped into a, like a subcategory of Christianity. Like the unusually extreme person maybe is a spiritually powerful person or the super spiritual person maybe is somebody we could look to as a spiritually powerful person. Or we talk about spiritual power as some sort of select option. That maybe I sign up for that, that high green beret kind of track right? Instead of just the normal Christianity. But here's why that idea of of spiritual power cannot live, the idea of spiritual power cannot live in some small subcategory of Christianity. It's because of this. We, all of us, we need God's power in order to follow Jesus. Okay, we just simply need it. You can't do what God tells you to do without the power of God inside you. You can't do it. You cannot follow Jesus, you cannot obey the teachings of Christ without, on your own, without the power of the Spirit of Christ inside of you. So this question, today's question, are you powerful? It needs to be seriously considered by every single one of us who are seeking to follow God, are seeking to follow Christ. All right. So the first disciples, uh, they demonstrate this remarkable inconsistency in their abilities to follow Jesus during their three years of following him. Uh, they struggle, in other words, with pride. They're always arguing about who's first. They are unable to free people from demonic oppression. They are unable to consistently heal people of diseases. They fail to comprehend some of Jesus' most basic teachings. They ultimately desert. They run away from Jesus when Jesus is at his point of greatest need. But then this remarkable shift happens. They are changed in a, in a, in a mourning, uh, in a dramatic way, in an authentic way, and in a way that is apparent to those around them. In other words, it's a big change, it's a real change, and everybody can see the change. And the change that happens to the disciples, to the early Christians, the very first followers of Jesus, happens on this day, today, Pentecost Sunday, 50 days after Resurrection Sunday, 50 days after Easter, on the day of the Feast of Pentecost which just means the 50th day, a historic Jewish feast, 
commemorating the giving of the law to Moses. 50 days after Easter, today, like 2,000 years ago. It happened today. So let's read about it. It's in Acts chapter 2. And uh, I'm going to read most of the chapter, so I'm not going to have it on the screen. But if you like, turn it in your Bible with me, and we'll, uh, we'll read it together. Acts chapter 2. If somebody has a Bible that was handed to you, and you have the page number, could you holler it out? For others who picked up the Bible. Thanks. 759. All right, here's what Luke writes. Luke, the, first, uh, the writer of the first real Christian history, history of the church. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and, they were, uh, and filled the house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. They're there for the, for the festival of uh, Pentecost, right? When they heard this sound... A crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Verse 7, utterly amazed. They asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? In other words, aren't all those guys who are speaking in all those different languages from the same little uneducated fisherman town? Galilee. How is it then that each one of us hears them in his own native language? language. And then from verse 9 to verse 11, Luke records their statement, and they list 15 different areas, 15 different races or at least languages that, that, that are represented and that are declaring. Um, in fact, only one nationality and language is represented. They're all Galileans, but they're hearing the truth proclaimed in 15 different languages. They say, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. So then Peter, follow down, I'm going to paraphrase some parts. Peter preaches his very first recorded sermon. He roots his explanation in what is happening there in the words of the prophet Joel, an Old Testament prophet. He quickly then points to Jesus, to Jesus' miracles, to Jesus' death, and then his resurrection. Then he quotes King David to support his idea, his claim that Jesus was and is the Messiah. He says in verse 36, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And then it says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other disciples, brothers, what shall we do? Then Peter urges them, Peter's response to their question is to urge them to repent of their sins, believe in Jesus, and then be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and assures them that when they are, they will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke writes in verse 41 that those who accepted Peter's message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 
Okay, so that's Acts chapter 2, really fast. In Acts chapter 3, we see this dramatic change that has occurred in the lives of the disciples begin to play out. Uh, in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John heal a crippled man by speaking to him, by telling a man who hasn't walked for 40 years to stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. They demonstrate this power to heal. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are put in jail. Um, but they boldly stand up to the very same people who killed Jesus just a month before. So um, a month ago, they, um, these are the same guys who are running away from Jesus on the night he's arrested. Not just sort of casually hiding behind trees in the shadows in the garden, but actually running away, sprinting away while soldiers grab at them. Mark in his gospel even says that one person struggled so violently to escape arrest that his clothes were ripped off of him and he ran away naked. This is not some sort of passive, hey, don't look, maybe they'll not know we're there. No, they ran away from Jesus. They sprinted away from him. Last week, these are the same guys that last week were up in some upper room with the doors locked because they were so afraid. And now this week, right now, Peter and John and the other are confronting the very same people, the very same religious authorities. They're confronting the religious authority structure. And they're proclaiming the resurrection of Christ. And they're saying salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And the Jewish leaders are confounded. The same Jewish leaders that were crying for Christ's crucifixion 50 days ago are now confounded. And there's two reasons that they're confounded. One, in Acts 14, I mean, sorry, 4.13, it says, when they saw the courage, right? Last week they were afraid. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized these were unschooled, ordinary men, and they were astonished. And the second reason they're confounded is since they could see the man who had been healed standing with them, in other words, right, the evidence of the truth of Peter and John's message happens to be standing right next to them. They can't argue with this. They've just said, stand and walk in the name of Jesus, and there's the object lesson present right there in the trial. So there's nothing they can say. So the Jewish leaders spew out a bunch of empty threats, tell Peter and John, don't preach in this name anymore, and they let them go. In Acts chapter 5, Peter sees right, there's an, here's another example, he sees right into the heart of a man and a woman who are posturing and pretending to be more committed to the Christian cause, this new movement, than they actually are. They actually act like they're giving more money to the community than they are. And Peter knows they're lying, and he calls them on it, and he says, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you're lying to the Holy Spirit? And then he says, you are not lying just to men. You are lying to God. He's been given this power To heal people, to stand up against this religious power structure, and now to see right into the hearts and the minds of people that he doesn't otherwise know. It just goes on and on and on, story after story, example after example of people who are followers of Jesus, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, and then demonstrate real spiritual power. Friends, my message this morning, really, really simple. It's simply this. We need this kind of spiritual power. We need it in our lives. Not only is it possible, I think of Romans 8, which we read last week, in which Paul says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in us. Paul's either right or he's wrong. 
Paul says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living inside of us if the Spirit lives inside of us, is what Paul says. So not only is it possible to have real spiritual power, I think, according to Paul, it's also essential that we have real spiritual power. We need real spiritual power. I need real spiritual power. You need real spiritual power, and we need it just across the board just across the whole board. Just to kind of get focused, let me, let me point out three areas in which I think we really need uh, power from the Spirit. First, we need power for effective ministry. Jesus told his disciples this. He said, you're going to do even greater things than I did. That is a, that is a remarkable statement, isn't it? That is a mind-blowing statement. You're going to do greater things than I did. But we see examples of this very thing in Acts. We see regular uneducated fishermen doing the same kinds of things Jesus did, healing people, casting out demons, preaching the kingdom of God. How did they do that? By the power of the Holy Spirit of God who was with them and is now in them, right? The narrative is very clear. This is the explanation that is given. The level of power displayed by these ordinary unschooled people is remarkable to me. They do, in fact, seem to do even greater things than Jesus. I mean, get this, in Acts chapter 5, people are laying their sick relatives on the street, hoping that Peter's shadow will fall on them, and when it does, they are healed. Come on, in Acts chapter 19, handkerchiefs and aprons touched by the apostle Paul are brought to the sick, and they are healed, and those with demons are freed from demonic oppression. From an apron that Paul touched what are we talking about? Yesterday, I went over and spent some time with Ben Black, who's a member of our church and a member of my family who's struggling with cancer. He was in a ton of pain yesterday. He's bent over and, and, and yelling. And I am praying for him, and I am longing for my prayer to be effective. I want so badly to know this power that I'm reading about in Acts where people can actually be healed of things. And I am just asking God to bring relief and I'm asking God to bring healing and to change whatever is wrong and broken inside of him as this brother is just hurting and his family around him is hurting. In Acts, the Holy Spirit fills Christians. And people like Peter and Paul walk into situations like I walked into yesterday, and they make a difference. Things change. Healing comes, relief comes, truth comes. They were empowered for effective ministry. Listen, they needed the power of the Holy Spirit. They didn't have this ability on their own. This is why Jesus said, wait for it. Wait for the, the Holy Spirit. And uh, my point, we need it too. Holy smokes, we need it too, right? We cannot make a lasting impact in the lives of others by our own strengths, with our own abilities. We're just not that good, okay? We're just not that skilled, but that's not all. The power of the Holy Spirit is, re is reserved not just for physical healings, for the miraculous, for exorcisms. For, you know, I don't know, maybe it's because so many of the stories that historically the church has told in association with the Holy Spirit are so remarkable that it's easy for us to begin to think that being filled with the Spirit or that the power of the Spirit is reserved for just the super spiritual, like the Green Beret or the Navy Seals of the Christians. 
Um, but that, that's unfortunate because the power to do the miraculous is not the only thing that the Holy Spirit enables Christians to do. It is one of them, but it's not the only thing. The second reason that we need the power of the Holy Spirit is to simply experience the basics that Jesus calls his followers to experience. Just the basics. Here's seven examples of just basic spiritual realities that the Bible connects to the power of the Holy Spirit. Seven, right here, real fast. Wanting a relationship with God. That, the fact that you are drawn to want to be in relationship with God in and of itself is a gift of the, the Spirit draws you to God. Resisting sin is a Spirit-enabled ability to resist sin because you were born bent toward it. So the ability to go the other way is a God-given ability. Being convinced that you're a child of God knowing who you are, right? Paul says it is the Spirit who testifies with our spirit. That means it's the Holy Spirit who tells us the truth about who we are, that we are children of God. Experiencing real freedom, not some fake, shallow, self-help, temporary, but real spiritual freedom. That's a gift of the Spirit. Experiencing hope, that's a gift of the Spirit. Receiving the gifts of the Spirit, like the gift of hospitality or the gift of teaching, gifts that are God-given strengths that both give life to the person who receives the gift and then are also effective in ministering and encouraging other people. And then finally, growing in the fruit of the Spirit. Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit as love, joy. What I'm saying is you need the Holy Spirit to be able to experience this stuff, love, Joy. Uh, you know it, and I lost my spot. Peace, patience, right? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are character traits that we're all called to embody. But Paul makes it really clear that they are the fruit or the result of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Spirit does not only empower the miraculous, the Spirit also empowers what we might consider to just be the basic, like experiencing hope in times of sorrow, like overcoming addictive behaviors with actual self-control, this new and growing ability to actually make decisions. So on your own, friends, you, you don't have what it takes to do this stuff. I don't have what it takes to do this stuff. You need, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. It's the Holy Spirit that, un, that um, enables the supernatural. You can put it like that. It's also the Holy Spirit who enables the simple or the basic, if you're taking notes. And then finally, it's the Holy Spirit who enables the, the specific or the, the personal that enables you to fulfill the unique, specific roles that you yourself have been called by God to do. I'm talking about the very personal challenges that you're facing in your life right now. The, the specific responsibilities that God has given to you, like parenting your children, like loving your neighbor, like persevering through the specific trial that is on your shoulders right, uh, right now, like enduring unique to you suffering that sort of 
recipe of suffering that you experience because of the different realities in your life or helping a specific person in your life in a way that will actually help them. These are your specific roles. Please understand that God has given each one of us specific jobs to do. You were called by Jesus to follow Jesus within the specific context of your family. That's not an accident, right? Within your work environment, Uh, In your life stage, whether you're 15 or you're 65, there's a specific job for you and a role for you and a meaning and a purpose for you in that specific life stage, in that specific environment, in that specific space. And you cannot do what God is calling you to do without the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you. You can't. It's more than you can't. You weren't even meant to. You weren't even meant to. You weren't even designed to. You were designed to accomplish God-given purposes with the power of God. My truck, which I love, is not designed to run without gasoline. It was built to need this source of of power or whatever. You You can try to make a difference on your own. You can try to. Most of us do all the time. But you were meant to be filled with the Holy Spirit to impact the world with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, which according to Jesus is with us and can be within us. In other words, the great news is that you don't have to get through this battle with cancer or you don't have to get over this, this, um, this long journey of sorrow. You don't have to navigate this dark night of fear all by yourself. You don't have to. You don't have to just live with this addiction to pornography for the rest of your life, just hoping and waiting, right? You don't have to carry the guilt for that thing you did, just trying to believe that you're forgiven because there's more to Christianity than that. There's more to the message than that. You, God can fill you with God's power so that you can overcome. That's the message, right? God's spirit can counsel you through the maze of brokenness. God's spirit can comfort you in times of sorrow. The spirit of Christ can free you from guilt, can free you from fear. The bottom line is this, you can be powerful. You can be. You can be spiritually powerful. I once heard a a really well-meaning preacher say, just believe in grace and hang on till Jesus comes back. That's a pretty anemic view of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a pretty anemic view. Okay, the full story is better. The full story is you can change. That's the full. You can grow. Transformation is possible. In fact, it's part of the in- initial design. You can be transformed. You never have to just believe and hold on. Right? That's not the message because you can be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? And to be really frank, you need to be. I need to be. We can't do what God wants us to do on our own. We need to be filled, and we need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Somebody's saying, I don't know, I don't know. Uh, Maybe pastors need to be filled because you're, maybe, I don't need to be. You, yes, you, you need to be filled with the Spirit. And, And let me tell you just two reasons why, really quick. For your church's sake, you need to be filled. This isn't about you. This isn't about you. This is about your church. OK? 
Okay? Paul says in Ephesians 4.10, if you want to look it up, that the whole point of the Spirit empowering some people to be teachers, some people to be preachers, some people to do this role, some people to do that role, is to prepare God's people for works of service so that the whole body of Christ, that's all of us and more, will be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become Mature, attaining to just a little bit of Jesus, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Put simply, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so others can become what God wants them to be. You need me to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and I need you to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Otherwise, we falter and, and, and what's the word? We like I can't think of it. We just, we struggle in immaturity. We struggle with a lack of unity. We struggle with a, a lack of understanding. So, um, like recently, somebody in our community was struggling with a specific issue, and they call me for help. There's another person in our community who struggled with this specific issue and overcame it. So I call this person, and I say, would you meet with this person? Would you share with them would you pray with them? Would you walk alongside them? This person says, I, I, I don't know if I have what it takes. No, you don't have what it takes. So go meet with them. They go meet with them. They help them. They pray with them, right? We talk about it later. Man, I, I just didn't think I had what it takes. But we needed your experience. We needed your pain. We needed your openness to the Holy Spirit. That's what we needed, right? So that you, it's not about you, so that you would apply your experience to this person's specific experience because that's where the maturity in Christ was needed, right? And they went and they prayed and they shared and, and uh, with the Spirit, real difference happened, right? We need to be filled with the Spirit for our church's sake and then to focus the same idea just even tighter. Let me just say finally this. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, not just for our church's sake, but we need to be filled with the Spirit for our family's sake. You, friends, you are uniquely positioned in the lives of a few people um, in such a way that you may be the only one. There are three people on the planet for whom I am the only dad. I am, I am the only one. You are, for somebody, their only sister. You are somebody's only son. You are somebody's only mom. Right? Somebody's only grandfather. You, do you begin to understand how you must, you just absolutely must fulfill God's role for you in this way? Because there is a granddaughter that needs you to not be just doing the best you can on your own ability, but, is, oh, but they need you to be open to the Spirit of God and the power of God working in and through you. You need to be filled with the Spirit of God for your family's sake. Friends, whether it's for the miraculous, the supernatural, or whether it's for the basic and the simple, whether it's for the very personal, the very specific, we need the Spirit of God in our lives. Uh, Amy, would you come play for us for a second? Friends, we are, we are in desperate need for the power of the Holy Spirit. 
When was the last time somebody described you as powerful? What difference is there between us and somebody else who doesn't even claim to have any kind of connection with God? We are in desperate need uh, for the real, real spiritual power. We need to be filled with God's Spirit. We need to be filled with God's Spirit. Amen? Amen. So I asked Amy just to play one song for us. And uh, here's what I'd like to do. Um, I'm just going to take some space, and I want to invite you to stand up with me and sing this song with Amy, if you like. Um, Go ahead and stand up, if you would. And as we sing, and we just give space for God, um, if you... If you have just a general sense that you need to be filled or filled again with the Holy Spirit, then I just encourage you to hold your hands out, right? Just to connect your body to your spirit. Just connect the whole you and express a desire for the fullness, the refreshing, the empowerment of the spirit with raised up hands. And then I know because several have told me and I have this sense, I've had it the last couple of days, that for some of you, there's just a really specific area in your life. There's a specific role that you are called, you're responsible for. There's a specific battle that you're fighting. There's a specific need that you have. And you need the power of God there specifically. So I've asked a few people to come up in the front and off to the sides just to pray specifically for you. Some of you, it will be helpful for you to get out of your seats, to move forward to another brother or sister and just simply ask to be filled with the power of God for that specific role, that specific need, that specific battle that you're facing, all right? So as Amy sings, uh, please feel free to move, to sit if that's easier for you to pray, to stand, raise your hands if that helps, to come forward. We'll just take a few minutes, but let's, uh, let's plead with God for his power to fill us up, amen? Amen. Let's pray. The pain and the sorrow be washed away in the waves of his mercy as deep cries out to deep we sing
to the fountain and dip your heart in the stream of life let the pain and the sorrow As deep cries out too deep, we sing, come Lord Jesus, come, come Lord Jesus, come, come. And all who are weak, just come to the fountain and dip your heart in the stream of life. Let the pain and the sorrow be washed away. As deep cries out to deep, we sing holy.
in faith like it matters. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us, your desire for us to be powerful, not to languish in impotence and confusion. Uh, confess a whole pile of intellectual challenges and experiential failures and all kinds of things that get in the way, but I don't ever want to be found guilty of not being open to being filled with your spirit. So may all of us always have a posture of openness, a readiness to say, on my own, I am falling short. With you, I can be effective. So fill me up. Enable me to do what you've called me to do so that I can be a faithful servant, empowered uh, not by my education, not by my experience set, but empowered by the Spirit of God. Lord, bless us as a church. May we love one another with the power of your spirit. May we grow in unity into the maturity of the fullness of the measure of Christ, Lord. We simply, in the last four weeks, Jesus, this has been just a, um, an exercise of obedience, uh, a movement towards faith, uh, a desire to say, would you move in and through us beyond what we expect sometimes and, and have your way here. May this church community be filled with the power of the Spirit to make a difference, we pray, and to honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.